This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. If history is any indication, we know one thing Donald Trump will talk about in his inaugural address tomorrow. The impact of governments on America's young people. We must act now to protect future generations from government's desire to spend its citizens' money and tax them into servitude when the bills come due. Our children are watching in schools throughout our great land. And to them I say, thank you for watching democracy's big day. I challenge a new generation of young Americans to a season of service, to act on your idealism. If we do not turn the hearts of children toward knowledge and character, we will lose their gifts and undermine their idealism. We will respond to the threat of climate change knowing that the failure to do so would betray our children and future generations. Young people are often talked about in politics, but less often speak for themselves. That is not the case today. We are live in the CPR Performance Studio and have gathered together high school students from across the state, Denver, Grand Junction, Jefferson County, and the rural district of Strasburg on the Plains. How do they see their role as citizens and what do they want from the Trump administration. I want to welcome you all to the show and raise your hand if you're missing class because of this today. You're, you're all missing class. We're very grateful for your time. I want to start with Cody Wilson and Bryce Hopwood, who go to the same school in Strasburg, east of Denver. You have different views about this new president, but you get together regularly for a school club to talk politics. And I think you're accomplishing something a lot of adults don't want to right now, engaging with people you might disagree with. What advice, Cody, would you have for people who maybe are open to those conversations but don't know where to start? I would say that you just shouldn't, I mean, people are going to have different ideas than you, so you kind of just have to accept that sometimes, that you're not going to change their ideas, and just let them know why you think what you think, and then let them think what they think. The idea of engaging in conversation without the agenda of changing a mind. Right, because sometimes people just aren't up to changing their mind. Would you agree with that, Bryce? Yeah. Uh, through our discussions in the political club and diversity, we all tend to listen to each other very well and then discuss why we feel these ways and what exactly makes us feel like that and just all the different topics. Does your blood boil sometimes, though? Oh, Definitely. <laughs> definitely. On what topics, what has been most controversial in the politics club? One that we talk about a lot is abortion, and I think that gets to a lot of people. And one that the nation, for sure, has been grappling with. Bryce, anything else on the list? Uh, definitely abortion, and then de uh, just the political candidates, like Hillary Clinton and Trump, and there's a lot of disagreements within the school about that. So there was a lot of talk of the election in the politics club, understandably. Yeah, that was part of the reason it was started, so that definitely helped. Was it started because of this past election? Yeah, we just started it this year, so. Okay. Well, with that as our frame, having an open conversation here, I want to know what your biggest hopes and concerns are about the incoming Trump administration. And maybe we can start with hopes. And Mackenzie Yunker, I know that you're a supporter of Donald Trump, and you got into politics in the past year or so. You're in our Grand Junction studio, actually. What do you hope? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. What do you hope to see in the next four years? Um, well, based on my religious background, I I want someone who protects my faith. 
supports gun law and is hard working. I would like to see affordable health care and someone who will get the job done. All right. Let, let's explore one of those issues. So your faith. Talk more about how that influences your support for Donald Trump, whom some don't see as a man of faith. I just want someone who understands your religious background, and I like to space it off of my beliefs. Sorry, it's like echoing. <laughs> well, you've got an echo in your headphones, so that's got to be pretty unnerving. Yeah. We'll try to fix that, Mackenzie. And come back to you, because I know how hard it can be to talk when you hear yourself in the background. Who wants to chime in for hopes or concerns about this incoming administration? I just Cody hope, Wilson. So I just hope that, unlike previous politicians, that he actually follows through with some of the things he said he's going to do, because usually that's just kind of talk to get elected, and then they do whatever they want once they get elected. So I hope he follows through with some of that. Okay. Is there a particular promise or commitment that you'd be watching? Um, just looking at, like, mainly immigration, probably. Just controlling our borders. Immigration. What concerns you on that subject? I think our borders are way too soft, and I think we need to control them and not let people come in illegally so easy and make that more difficult. What makes you say that? Well, just seeing how... We, our country works around immigration, that it's very hard for us to deport people once they're here. So I think the initial problem would, could be solved if we just stopped them from coming in illegally altogether. And yet there have been record deportations under the Obama administration. Jare Jallo, who is at DSST Cole High School in Metro Denver, you're raising your hand to jump in, I think, on immigration. So, Cody, what exactly is your issue with immigrants? I have no issue with immigrants. I have issues with illegal immigrants because they break they are breaking the law to get into the country and we have no record of them and no idea what their intentions are once they're here. Okay, yeah, I get that. But the United States was founded on immigration. Right, and immigration is fine, but you should do it legally. They, uh, when Europeans came here, they didn't do it legally. They came here well, and... Well, many, many of them did, for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. But also with Native Americans, that led to massacre and blood being spread. So you have to consider that when immigrants come here, they're coming here to ensure their livelihood and ensure the lives of people. Like, for example, African immigrants are probably progress far more in colleges than the the regular American student. Immigrants are adding culture to our society and bring great impact, and they add qualities that make America different and make America special. Can you tell us a little bit about your own background and your family's background, Jarae? What what viewpoint do you come from? What experience do you come from? Okay, um, my mother came here from Guinea Conakry, which is in West Africa, in 2000. And I was uh, with my older brother and my sister, and I was born in 2001. So my mom came here as an immigrant. And as my, my siblings came here as immigrants, and they worked hard to get to the positions where they are. Like, for example, my sister's going to UPenn, which is an Ivy League school. My brother works for the Center of Disease Control. My mom is a, has an associate's degree in nursing, and she's an immigrant. Cody, she, what, do you, what do you make of what you hear there? Anything? What I'm hearing is they went through the process and did it legally, and good for them. They, got, they achieved great things because of it. Okay, 
sense. But also, you have to consider the livelihoods and the, where people are coming from when they do it illegally. And when people come here, they're coming here to ensure their livelihoods and the lives of their kids and their themselves. So it sounds like for both of you, immigration is going to be something to watch closely in a Trump administration, certainly discussed a lot on the campaign trail. Who else would like to share concerns and hopes for this next administration? How about you, Emily right. Leo? Um, I think the biggest thing that I hope for is that in light of the election and all of this political tension, that people can still come together and try to understand each other. Because I've noticed even in the classroom atmosphere in my home, it gets really heated. And we almost forget that we are friends in the first place or family in the first place. And I think it's wonderful to have that political discourse. We just need to realize that there's a time and a place and we have to put it all in perspective. You come from an interesting perspective yourself, Emily, because I think half of your family supported Trump and half did not? That's right. Okay, so some of what you're talking about is harmony in your own home. Was there <laughs> harmony in your home uh, during the election? Um, There were some roadblocks, for sure. Um, sometimes making dinner, we'd get into it. But I think at the end of the day, we always came to terms and recognize that our relationship as family matters more than the differences we have politically. We can try to empathize with each other, but we can still have our differences. But you're concerned about that kind of cohesion in the next four years for the country. Right. I I hope people can realize that we all cohabitate and we have to live together. So maybe to kind of discard that violence that comes with it. That violence. I want to try to go back to our Grand Junction studio and hear a bit more from Mackenzie Yunker and open the floor as well to a young man named Juan Martinez Flores there. So Mackenzie Yunker, uh, I think we've fixed the issue and I want to have you expound just a bit more on your hopes for the Trump administration. So you'd cited faith, you'd cited gun laws. Um, care to expound a bit? Uh, well, I would also like to see more affordable health care. Uh, my family, we pay for our own insurance, and it's double the normal. And um, I've seen how Obamacare has hurt businesses. All right. So you think uh, of my Ob dad, Obamacare is part, um, of, part of the problem. You, you're, you're, your father, you tell us about him. Well, we own our own business. He's a chiropractor. And I've seen how Obamacare has hurt his business because his patients have to pay more out of their own pocket and their insurance has gone up. And um, it makes them go to less appointments and it hurts the business. I'll say that more people for sure in Colorado have insurance under the Affordable Care Act. According to the federal government, the uninsured rate has fallen by 49% since it went into effect in 2010, but you're talking about the quality of that coverage. And uh, I would like to open the floor to Juan Martinez Flores, who's also in Grand Junction. Hi, Juan. Hi, Ryan. So, hopes, concerns for a Trump administration? Well, I would like to go back to the immigration talk. Okay. That's going to be an issue you'll watch in the next four years? Oh, definitely. Go ahead. What's on your mind? Okay, so... 
I come, I actually came illegally, illegally into the country for the first five years of my life, went through citizenship, uh, and now I am a DACA student, and uh, it really bothers me when uh, people talk about how illegal immigrants bring problems. Most of immigrants come in to work and have a better future for their kids, and we wouldn't have to come in illegally if there was a better immigration system, a faster process. Uh, our home countries aren't very well. There's violence and there's drugs and parents just want to get their kids away from that. So you're under DACA. You mentioned that temporary legal status for those brought to the United States as children, uh, presumably through really no control of their own. How, how is that? Is there stigma attached to that? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, you can't do things that uh, other people can do. You can't leave the country. You have to stay in the country. I haven't seen my grandparents in 12 years. What effect does that have on you? It's devastating because uh, they're part of my family, immediate family, and uh, I can't see them. Talk to me about how you feel the immigration issue has been treated uh, throughout the campaign and now as the inauguration nears? I think it's been treated very uh, very poorly by Trump. Uh, he's racially slurred uh, immigrants. He's called Mexicans rapists and all kinds of other things, which really affects uh, the, the race. And he hasn't really dealt with it pretty well. Mackenzie, who is sitting right next to Juan, what, what do you think when you hear someone who takes some offense at what they have heard from Donald Trump? I agree a lot and understand where he's coming from, and I don't necessarily agree with the things he said, but I would just like a president who is hardworking and wants to get the job done. But and, and so that, that, to you temper... feel, that to you feels more important than how he talks, you're saying? Right. I want it to pay off for everyone, even – I'll put this up aside his rude comments to know that he's going to make a difference and help. Right. But I want to agree with the things he said. We are live in the CPR performance studio with a round table of young people, all high school students from all across the state and from different political viewpoints, talking about what they want from the next administration. And a little later, we'll talk about how they see their role in the democracy it strikes me, guys, that two big issues adults think are important for young people are, one, if you plan on going to college or trade school, can you afford it? And two, will there be a job waiting for you afterwards? Uh, the youngest of you are 15, the oldest 18. Do those two issues weigh on you? Derek Honeyman from Pomona High School. Yeah, the the whole student loan and the finding a job after high school is def or college is definitely one of the biggest things that kind of keeps me up at night, I would say, is just thinking about the amount of debt that I'm going to have to go into and the amount of money that is going to be, you know, coming, I'm going to be having to deal with over the next four years after I graduate, just to attend a four-year college and get an education. And then there be the possibility of, I mean, there not being a job once I graduate college and me, you know, having to move back into my parents' bed or basement or one of those. It, it's it's really scary. And it's it's not like old times where I mean, you could graduate college with minimal amounts of debt. Now you're talking about tens of thousands of dollars. 
you have played this through in your mind to the end. Like you're already yeah. picturing yourself living back in your parents' house in your mind. Which I don't want to. Okay. So this worries you, and I imagine is something that you'll keep your eye on in the next four years? Definitely. What yes. would you like to see from a Trump administration in this regard? I'd like to see uh, just stability. I would say to kind of, if you make a promise, to keep on it and not to make a promise and then backtrack on it. Um, definitely, I mean, everybody has seen Trump's uh, education secretary nominee, Betsy DeVos. Definitely, it, it's something that's kind of scary, um, especially because I'm going to be dealing with the Department of Education over the next four years with the FAFSA, the Free Application for Student Aid. So stability would be my number one thing that I want. I want to say that Trump talked a bit in the campaign about the high cost of higher education. Costs are going up mammothly, much more so than other businesses and industries. He wants to cap payments for federal student loans at 12.5% of a person's income. That's a bit higher than now, but he wants to forgive the debt sooner in a young person's career. After 15 years, it's currently 20. Bella Martinez, we haven't heard from you. Uh, does the question of college or what kinds of jobs are available weigh on you? Do you give that much thought? It kind of weighs on me, but at the same time, I'm not too worried about it because I am a sophomore in school, so it hasn't affected me that much. But I do ponder about it sometimes and be like, well, what colleges am I going to go to? My mom's already hounding me to get out of her house. Like, I don't want to move back in and then bear her the burden. So it kind of weighs on me and kind of doesn't. So I'm at, I'm like torn in half about it. You're torn in half. What issue would you say is top of mind for the next four years? I think money because like college is really expensive and like I would want to pay it all myself instead of having like my mom pay for it or something. I at least try to get a scholarship. Like I don't want to have to look to my parents in order to get money for my education. Who wants to weigh in on these particular issues? Go ahead, Cody Wilson from Strasburg High School on the Plains. So I think part of the problem here is that everyone thinks you have to go to college to get a good career or a good job, and that leaves a lot of people just going straight to college and not so many going into trade skills, which means there's you don't really have that much room for that, and it drives cost up. And I think public opinion really drove this. So I think if we kind of pushed that you can still get a job without going straight into college. You can do things. College isn't the only step in your life. What will be your path, do you think, Cody? College or no college? I personally would like to go to college, but I mean, it's not going to be the end of the world if I don't. What do you want to be when you grow up? I'm sorry, that's such a cliche <laughs> question, Cody. <laughs> um, I would like to go into astrophysics, but it's a very small field, so... I mean, and a college required one. Right. Emily Leo from Stanley Lake High School. Um, I understand a lot of what Cody is saying about there being a decrease in demand or at least supply into the trades. But I think the biggest thing that I've noticed with uh, my peers, myself, is there's a sense of discouragement when it comes to applying for colleges because of the fact that. Most young people have at least some motivation to go to college, but the effect that loans can have, um, maybe majoring in something that doesn't have much of uh, demand for jobs once you get out of school, I think 
the biggest thing is that it's discouraging mm. to go to college. I think what I hear you saying, Emily, is that you might choose a field in college that speaks to your heart, to your soul, and then you think... Yes, but that's a lot of debt for not enough income. So right. college becomes a real value proposition. Yes. Uh-huh. I'd like to throw this question of affordability and future employment to our Grand Junction guests. So Juan Martinez Flores, weigh in on this for us. Well, I see what Trump's saying, uh, raising the percentage, but um, I feel he didn't connect with the whole uh, with us like young people, like Bernie Sanders did. I think he, Bernie Sanders won the whole education educational part of the debates and in, in the presidential candidacy uh but i think trump might actually help with uh the college debt you know the the polls bear that out it seemed and and so did the exit polls by the way it seemed that trump garnered only about a third of the youth votes i think that was specific to millennials so just a third uh mackenzie yonker this question of college and future employment? Well, it scares me. I don't want to be paying off my student loans when my kids are going off to college someday. So I think it's taught me that I just need to plan ahead for my future and know what I'm going to do to secure my future. And what will that look like, do you think? How are you going to take those steps? Well, I'd like to um, have my school pay off now so I can look at scholarships and know what I'm going to go into so I'm not getting two degrees and spending more money. Hmm. Derek Honeyman from Pomona High School. I think one of the big reasons why um, Bernie Sanders and then eventually um, Hillary Clinton kind of garnered the youth vote is really because they had detailed plans as to what they wanted for the college loan and all that kind of stuff, the education um, system, whereas Donald Trump, he has that the 12.5% capping and then forgiving loans at earlier times. But other than that, he doesn't really have a set plan of what he wants to do with it. And I think that's kind of a big reason why a lot of young people got turned away from him and kind of turned towards Bernie and Hillary is that they had set plans. They showed what they wanted to do with the college uh, affordability. You're listening to Colorado Matters. I'm Ryan Warner, and we're in the CPR Performance Studio getting the views of young people ahead of tomorrow's inauguration of Donald Trump, what they envision for the next four years, and now to the topic of how they see themselves as citizens. I want to say that in President Obama's farewell address, he said the most important office for anyone in a democracy is citizen. And it made me wonder what you think you can contribute to this country and whether you feel that you have, you know, an, an obligation to it. Bryce Hopwood from Strasburg High School, how do you answer that? Um, can you come back to me? You, I can <laughs> certainly come back to you. I'd be happy to. Who'd like to jump in? Jari Jallo. Okay. Um, so for me, like this past election, I guess, confirmed my reality within this world because... Like um, Mackenzie from Grand Junction was saying, like we should ignore everything that Trump, like the com that the, the comments President like Trump has made about like the citizens within this country, but it has confirmed like my everyday fears and struggle being a black woman, being a daughter of immigrants, being Muslim. He's he's pretty much saying I don't belong. Where everything that defines me doesn't belong. So it's 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 scary. Considering if my voice and the things that I need within society is actually going to be cared about. 
Go ahead, Bryce Hopwood. Um, going off of what she had just said, uh, with all of Donald Trump's remarks and all the times he pointed out the minorities and what the country in the future is going to become, because I have little brothers and I know that you know every kid wants to be president when they grow up, and they're going to have him to look up to and. That's kind of a problem when he's saying these things about minorities and women. And it really makes me wonder what the future generation will think of me when I become what I want to do. And So what is your obligation to the country, Bryce? Um, what do you contribute to it? I, um, I usually, I try my best to keep the peace and make sure that everybody does feel important because everybody's a person. And no matter what minority, what religion you are, what race you are, you're still a part of America. And that's who we are, and that's the people who built it. And that's why we're so special. Derek Honeyman? Um, I think one of our biggest obligations as citizens is just to be involved in the political process, to not just kind of play it off as just, oh, this thing, I don't like politics. I think everybody should get involved and they should care about politics, whether it be the president or your local mayor. Um, You should all just... You should get involved and be interested in it. It's are you, important. Are you eager to vote? I am, yes. Is that true for all of you? Are you eager to vote? Yes. Okay. yes. A lot of nodding heads. <laughs> all right. How about Juan or Mackenzie? Can I ask what you see your role is as citizens? Sure. Uh, I see that my role as a citizen is to like improve myself, improve my life, uh, my life status right now. And uh, help help out the most needed in the country right now. Who's that, and how? I there's a lot of homeless people right now. There's there's a lot of jobs going away. So I feel we have to find a way to create jobs. Uh, me being a business owner, I want to be I want to own a restaurant. So creating jobs would be one of my ways to help. You're a business owner. Tell us more about that. Well, I want to be a business owner. Want to be? I see. You want to own a restaurant, eh? Yes. What kind of restaurant? Mexican food. Mexican food. <laughs> you say that jobs are, are on your mind, unemployment is on your mind. I want to say that it's 4.2 statewide, but you're in a place, Mesa County, where it's 6%. So it's that question of, of evenness. And uh, Mackenzie Yunker, how do you see your role as citizen in the democracy? Well, going back to what you said earlier about some of Trump's comments, I would say that, well, I'd like to see maybe a teacher someday and it hurts me to see what he said but I would just want to always encourage people to keep pushing and get past those hard times and that there is a way if you're hardworking enough and dedicated when you say hardworking enough what do you mean so do you think that people who are struggling are not working hard enough no definitely not (laughs) not in that way I would just, people have different backgrounds. Some are harder than others. And you just got to keep on pushing through and believing in yourself. Jari Jala? I agree with her in the sense that we need to like push on and like persevere throughout like all the comments that have been made. But I don't think we need to justify that by ignoring the comments he's made about all types of people throughout this country pretty much everybody who's not the privileged class. He's not, cons- like, the comments he's made is not considering my lifestyle, my peers' lifestyle, and 
everybody I go to school with. I feel like we can't ignore the things that he says about people just because, oh, the, I feel like the things he says about people dehumanizes and demeans people. And so it sounds like your role, as you see it, is, Jeray, is to speak up. Yeah. Okay. Cody Wilson from Strasbourg, and then I'd like to hear from Bella Martinez. So I was actually going to kind of hit on what you just said, that I think our biggest role as a citizen is to stand up for what you believe in and everything that you, all the rights that you are given. It's your job to stand up for those and to show everyone how you believe in them. Bella. I would like to agree with what Jarai. Jarai said, because like looking at how it affected like even students in my organization that I work at, they were furious. They were legitimately like going around the office playing songs and like outraged by the way that it was prone to be. And I took it into my like into my hands and was like, yo, let's like start a meetup and we did and I was hosting it and there was a lot of people who had came and a lot of people of youth and youth of color and it was really really cool to see them all just come together and you know that's what I want to see more of and if I have to like host events then I will I'll do whatever I can to make sure that everybody comes together because there were even like small kids like four or five who were coming in and like saying what they had to say and we also broke off into small groups and was saying like in the action group, the one that I was in, they were saying how they like what they wanted to see in the future and the plans that they had in, for their future, for like events, what they wanted to do in the future, like how are they going to, so, yeah, organizing. I want to wrap up just briefly. I, I think I'll, with this question, I think a lot of people assume that, that young people are experts in social media. And now, whether you use it personally or not, I'm curious what you. Think of the way that Donald Trump uses social media, because he has used Twitter as a very powerful platform. All of you are raising your hands. Okay, big issue here. Uh, Round robin, Bryce Hopwood. Um, I think that the way he uses his Twitter account is extremely unprofessional for a president, and he shouldn't be doing that. And I know he's not like a president that we've ever had. Obviously, he's not a politician, but that doesn't give him the right to put people down. Emily Leo? I think... It's disheartening to have a political figure like that take advantage of social media as any other person would because, like Bryce said, it's unprofessional and it's uncanny and crass in most cases. Mackenzie Yunker, as a Trump supporter, how do you answer this? It's really upsetting, especially because I agree with his beliefs, but I find it so offending and unclassy and not professional and it's really upsetting, actually. Derek Honeyman. When you're a presidential candidate, you can say those things on Twitter, and the repercussions aren't going to be as extreme. But when you're the president of the United States and you're saying these things on Twitter, you have the possibility to start a war. And, I mean, I don't think he really understands that, of the implications of what happens when he tweets. Cody Wilson. I would like to bring up that he has the right to say everything that he says, even if we disagree with it. And since... It's his personal account. He can say what he wants on there. And whether I agree with it or not, I think he has the right to say it. And clearly, I would think the only the consequence that he would dread would be losing voters. And that didn't happen. I, so. I think that he has the right to say it, obviously. Um, but 
there's more professional way to do it. And when you attack people on your Twitter account, when you're the president or president elect right now of the United States, it, it doesn't look professional. I'm going to have to stop the discussion there. We've hit a nerve for sure. I want to thank you all for being with us. Um, lovely to have you. Thank you for getting out of class, which I'm sure was a huge burden. Just kidding. Uh, high school students from Denver, Grand Junction, Jefferson County, and Strasburg, Colorado, who indeed uh, were very generous with their time and uh, left class to join us today ahead of Donald Trump's inauguration. Live inaugural coverage from NPR and member stations across the country starts tomorrow morning at 8. Still to come... At a Denver gallery, artists take on religion. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. Religion and its influence is something artist Nietzsche Knoll thinks a lot about. She was born in Haifa, Israel, and came to the U.S. as a kid. Knoll says winding up the only Jewish student in her classes made her feel excluded. It stuck with her. And she wondered how often other artists think about their faith. It's the premise of the show Holy Moly at her gallery in Denver through next Saturday. CPR's Nathan Heffel got a tour... He asked Noel about her relationship with Judaism growing up. We were never very religious, but it was just, I always knew we were Jewish. There was a sadness to my parents' life because they came from Europe because of the Holocaust, and they were sent to Israel with youth groups. So it was always behind the scene, the sadness of all the people we have lost because we were Jewish. It just remained with me. So was it, you know, as you grew up, you, you felt different in a I sense? I did. I felt different, especially when we moved to other countries. Uh, we lived in Vienna for, a, for three years. Then we moved to America, and really I felt ostracized. I was foreign. I didn't really know the language. And Christmas was a big deal, because Christmas was everywhere. And where do I fit in? And it was sad for me. Religion was a big part of how I thought, not my religious upbringing, but just feeling left out because of religion. A piece that caught my eye right away was a large installation towards the front of the gallery. It's called 40 Days and 40 Nights by Idaho artist Pamela DeTuck. And it's made of a number of objects fashioned into nearly four dozen crosses, One is made of salt shakers, another remote controls. And it was just very interesting to see all these crosses, um, each one having a different meaning about her religion or Christianity. And a lot of them are very funny. They're all individually titled. All individually titled. Hope on a rope, which you look and it looks <laughs> like it's it's soap on a rope, but it it's is. a very stylized cross. And we have Forsaken here, which it's it's a cross, but it looks like it has barbed wire and nails sticking mm-hmm. out of it. And it's funny because it's right next to the one that's called Spice Girl, which is made up of salt shakers. This one is God Bless America, and so is that one. And one is an American flag. flag. A dirty American flag, too. And these are made out of... Um, Bullet cases. Bullet cases. Shotgun cases. Shotgun, Shotgun cases. Shotgun shell casings. Yeah. 
Well, she says about this work that, quote, it's a personal reflection on the highly explosive topic of Christian dogma and how it intersects with contemporary America's search for meaning. I thought I would feel uncomfortable having all these crosses in my gallery since I am Jewish, but I love it. Uh, It gives me an insight into how some of uh, the Christian people feel. Not much different than Judaism, really. Do you think that maybe you may not find some of this offensive, but do you think there may be some viewers who may find some of this offensive? Absolutely. I notice most people standing in front of it are either smiling. I've had people standing here laughing. I've been waiting for someone to say something to me, but no one has said anything. This is a juried exhibition. About 250 artists submitted their work, and 30 made the cut. Noel says she didn't receive many submissions from Jewish artists, but several feet from the nearly 40 crosses is artwork commenting on Judaism. Three plates collectively called the Holy Trinity by Denver artist Ellen Beller. They're placed below large paintings and have faces of famous Jewish women on them. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg on a background of bright yellow. Former Prime Minister of Israel Golda Meir on a background of blue. And fashion and interior designer Iris Apfel on a background of light purple. Well, Ellen is a glass artist. She was trying to bring something out about how women have been kept back, and now they're coming forward, which I'm feeling with the color, they're really bright and you can see them, that how strong the, uh, you know, some Jewish women have become when they start saying what they believe in, and very learned people, yeah. very different from the very religious Jews where the women are still kept back from learning uh, or reading the Torah or the Bible. So not very different than Christianity or, or many other religions. Several pieces in the gallery explore the intersection of religion and technology, like a piece called The Forbidden Fruit by Sam Loris. It uses Apple earbuds and a charger. Adam was one headphone, and then there's another one with Eve, another headphone, and they are connected to uh, it's a charger with a big apple on it. So the apple that the snake is holding right, is, is right. literally an apple charger right. from the computer. Technology has taken over. It is a god, sort of a god. Maybe some people struggle with religion just like with technology because <laughs> it, it has taken over. And I, I am, as a businesswoman, forced to learn technology. I don't really want to, but, but, I, but I have to. Have so to. maybe it is my God in a sense. What are you doing to me? I'm touring Nietzsche Knowles Gallery in Denver and the exhibition Holy Moly, which explores contemporary artists and their takes on religion. Nietzsche walks me over to a piece hanging on a wall that looks like a cartoon out of a newspaper. And it shows two men uh, with rifles and says, We have avenged the Prophet Muhammad. The cartoon by Darren Humphreys and John Smeltzer depicts the 2015 Charlie Hebdo attack in Paris, in which two gunmen ambushed the offices of the French satirical publication. At the bottom is a quote by Voltaire. Those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Noel says the two artists who created this work are not Muslim. I actually thought this would upset people, but I haven't heard anyone say anything. Because I I was reluctant to hang it, but I said, no, 
I have to do it because this is what this exhibit is about. Was there more artwork that focused on the Muslim faith? Yes, there was one other piece, and I thought it was it's beautifully done. Taking a look at this piece here that is by a Muslim artist. Yes. It's acrylic on wood, and it looks like it's calligraphy. Um, it's, from a, it's a verse from the Quran. He says it means we have sent you to be a mercy for mankind. That's it's so beautiful. Peaceful, it's round, doesn't have any hard edges. Now, does this exhibit maybe help you a little bit in terms of your search uh, for, for understanding about your religion and, and where you were in your youth and where you are now? Yes, because it, it makes me feel like uh, other people were struggling in different ways. Not just you. Not just me. Trying to belong. A lot of this is about belonging to, to something and helping you through life, basically. That's what religion is supposed to do. Nitsa Knoll runs Nitsa Knoll Gallery in Denver's Arts District on Santa Fe. The show Holy Moly, Religious Commentary in Contemporary Art, is up through next Saturday. CPR's Nathan Heffel got a tour, and you can see photos of the artwork at cprnews.org. We'll be right back. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. Boxing superstar and social activist Muhammad Ali would have been 75 this week. He died last June. Today, a bolder man's brush with Ali. Except Michael Eisner wasn't a man then. He was a 17-year-old kid who landed an interview with the heavyweight champion for his high school radio station. And Michael, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. You're going to share a snippet of this interview with us that very few people have heard. But a little background first. Um, It's 1966. Ali had recently changed his name from Cassius Clay. And you're a high school student in the Chicago suburbs. How the heck do you land an interview with Muhammad Ali? Man, it was not easy. It was not easy. I had to, you know, perseverance and pestering probably is the best way to do it. Of his people? Yeah. I I read in the the newspaper that, that he was sparring down... Um, at Johnny Coulon's gym in Chicago. And uh, I got on the phone. I looked up Johnny Coulon's gym and I acted like some kind of an adult. I don't remember what kind of stunt I pulled to get this guy named Shabazz on the phone. And I kept telling him that I need to interview Ali. I really wanted to go down and watch him spar and maybe catch a few words with him. But eventually, after two or three phone calls, they set up this interview and it was at the international headquarters of the Muhammad Ali fan club, South side of Chicago, next door to Muhammad speaks, the black Muslim newspaper. And here's this Jewish white boy from the North shore of Chicago going down there with my friend to interview Ali. Wow. You were obviously a big fan (laughs) of Ali's. I was. And do you know why? why? My grandmother, my little grandmother from Miami, beach was the one who would go and watch him spar and she loved him and she got me excited about this guy before he was anybody before he took over the heavyweight championship she found him out of the olympic games in 1960 when he became champ and she just thought this guy is different she loved him she loved his spirit she loved his energy she loved his boxing and she was the one that got me completely and totally engaged in Cassius Clay. So the two of you, you and a friend, head into 
the city for this interview. And how does Muhammad Ali introduce himself? Well, first of all, we're sitting there in the office and he comes into the office. He picks up a check at the front desk and the check was for the Tonight Show, for Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. And it was a check for $322 and he was not happy. You are the champ of the world and you go on Johnny Carson and all you get is $322. He sat down and I told him that that scale that Bob Hope and Frank Sinatra also got $322. Oh, he was settled down. He loved that. (laughs) Oh, he just was okay with that. What a precocious student you were. I was, but I was, I was in shock. I'm sitting in front of the greatest, the greatest. And, and he engages <sighs> in this strange introduction yeah. to you. Yep. That yep. This is what we have tape of. Set it up for us. Okay. So what we're listening to, and I, I think if you have the front part of it, I say, well, do it again, do it again. He started doing this bizarre rap about going to Mars and fighting the green giant up on Mars. And with my love of space and the fact that my little radio station when I was nine years old was called Michael Eisner's radio station, which stands for Mars. Mars. All these things were converging to that one moment. And guess what? The tape recorder's not running. I'm 17. I look over at my friend, Pat Smith. We look at each other, lock eyes, and the tape recorder isn't running. And I ask the champ, would you do that again? He did, and here it is. This is Muhammad Ali, the heavyweight champion of the world, down at the lunar station Cape Kennedy, on the way to Mars for the first universal title. There will be seven satellites circling the United States, bouncing the fight here. We have to stop at about 10 space stations on the way. We estimate our time at getting there in about 10 years. 1976. I'll be 10 years older, but I will still be in good shape. I expect the fight to go about 12 seconds. I'm fighting the green giant up there named Pelishikawaka. And after knocking him out, I hope to be back on Earth at about 1986. So I hope that uh, all of you will be here waiting for me and tell your children before uh, they come into this world here on Earth that the champion is leaving now and I will be back in 20 years with the universal title. Thank you. The universal title, an intergalactic title that's from 1966 and Muhammad Ali. What did you make of it at the time and what do you make of it now? I was floored. I mean, this guy is doing this rap. First of all, he did these raps and he was the most poetic, most romantic kind of sports figure you could ever imagine. And here he is spouting off about going, listen, it fit everything. He had just come off of doing all of his braggadocio for the Floyd Patterson fight and for the for the uh, Sonny Liston fight, who is from Denver. And so for him to take off and want to become champ of the entire solar system of the universe, of course, <laughs> of course. Why did you choose to share this with us? You know, I just felt like it was time. It was, he was 75 years old. He would have been this week. And uh, we lost him in June. And the timing wasn't right in June. And I've been holding this for a long time. I've wanted to get it out to the world. Mm. And I just figured that this is his first birthday after his death in June. And it's going to be the one that everybody's going to really pay attention to. And they did. And it was just time for us to revisit the joy and the playfulness uh, and the creative head space of this true snowflake of a human being. You've also said it, I think, to animation. 
I did. Yeah, I had a friend in uh, in London, and I loved the idea of us taking this thing and animating those words and having us travel with him out to Mars and come back and meeting this green giant named Felicia Kawaka. What did he look like? And Ali socking him in the face, and down he goes. So, yeah, it was great, and we've posted that online now. All right, at CPR.org. Michael, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Ryan. It's Michael Eisner. He's a film producer in Boulder, and he shared the story of interviewing Muhammad Ali in 1966. Ali would have been 75 this week. And that's Colorado Matters for today from Colorado Public Radio. With special thanks to Rachel Estabrook, Nathan Heffel, Michael Elizabeth Sackis, Matt Hers, and Michael Hughes. 